My people, my people, welcome to, uh, I apologize, another late installation of the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode. I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is our little Marshall Pruitt podcast. It is a Friday morning. I'm many days late. This usually gets recorded on a Monday night. I think I have a little bit of a hall pass, a little bit of a excuse. This has possibly been the busiest week of our year. Uh, I think the tally is seven or eight appointments spread across five days this week. All of them involving driving, some involving a lot of driving. So not a complaint, just sharing that, uh, boy, actually being home in the office, getting things done, it's been a little bit of a challenge. So ready to go here with your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Got both of our cats, Rocky and Rosie, sleeping to my right, uh, looking like they are face down drunk at the bar, so that's fairly normal. Probably going to have to do this in two parts because we do need to leave here shortly for a long appointment that's coming up, but my wife continues to make great progress in her fight and winning that fight against breast cancer. For those who are newish listeners to the show, I don't often speak of that topic, not because it's a bad thing, just because it's been going on for long enough to where it's no longer really topical thing. have had a couple of folks, uh, even this morning, reach out and ask how she's doing, what's going on, give you a super quick blast of an update here that uh, she is indeed doing well continuing to make great progress when we get here to the end of august i believe almost the last day of august uh it will be three years uh three year anniversary since we received the news after her uh mammogram that indeed uh we would be jumping into that fight against breast cancer and in this almost at three years quote milestone Boy, she has been just every inspiring thing you could imagine. The little newish note I'll add, and I don't want to go into too many specifics. There's a a couple of of treatments that she receives, that we receive uh, constantly. And because she's incredibly smart, uh, one master's degree, two bachelor's, Uh, known for doing intensive research, uh, she actually found a new drug coming onto the market to fight breast cancer, one that combined a couple of chemo drugs that take quite a while to administer and brought that in one of our meetings with our oncologist uh, months ago to say, hey, uh, been looking around? And found this, and boy, it sure looks like it would be awesome, save time, and obviously our time, but potentially time for any and all women who happen to need uh, these specific chemo items, knowing that breast cancer, again, is not one thing. There's a lot of variants of breast cancers that require, obviously, different drugs to combat them, at least for what we're dealing with. She found this new thing approved by the FDA that would potentially make the uh, administering of it 
a much faster and easier thing, brought it to the attention of our oncologist who hadn't heard of it. Uh, he looked into it, did research, and guess who was the very first patient within this entire massive uh, medical care uh, network to receive that? Well, so that was my lady. And again, massive appreciation for her. Uh, trying to find things that could be better, easier, faster, you name it. And that was one of our many appointments this week. So just sharing this with you, and as I told her, so proud of her, so proud of you for doing this, finding this, being resilient and making sure that this is taken seriously and introduced into our and hopefully the care for many other women fighting breast cancer the same kinds and so just yeah a as a husband as a spouse don't know if i could be more proud of her so starting something new something cool and yeah she's just such a bundle of amazing awesomeness so that's a little update for you please don't send messages of anything on social media uh, this is just as I often do when I give updates uh, on the home front. This is just meant for y'all. Please keep this between us. Uh, last thing or two before we get rolling, going to mention that uh, had a number of responses that Ernie Francis Jr. is awesome and he needs to be doing bigger things in open wheel, etc. Uh, can't disagree. Hope that the interview and podcast that I did with him uh, earlier this week is something that y'all enjoyed. Don't have a lot I can offer at this point, but I can tell you that I continue to hear some very positive things just in terms of interest. And I'm not saying what I wrote or the podcast had any influence on that, but I am saying that I have learned in the days, in the last couple of days, that there are certainly uh, some folks that are paying more attention to Ernie or learning about him for the first time or whatever it might be who are curious. So if and when I have more concrete things to share, I certainly will. But really glad to see this kid who's been best-kept secret <laughs> for a long time, sports car racing in particular, who's branched out into Junior Open Wheel, won his first race recently in the Formula Regional Americas Series um, yeah, I just hope those that are expressing interest keep expressing it and maybe open some doors for him to uh, try some bigger, better, and faster things. So last thing that comes to mind, hearing, hearing, we might have some positive news coming on an IndyCar front from a TV perspective, TV long-term contract and whatnot. So got my ear to the ground about that. And I think with all that stuff in mind, going to want to roll in one quick thing, which is so cool. This is courtesy of our show partners, the Justice Brothers. Saw that Ed Justice Jr. had posted this on Instagram. It's a TV advertisement that he found recently, that being his father back in the 1960s, doing a TV ad for Justice Brothers amazing automotive chemicals and lubricants and i asked ed to send this over just because i thought it'd be really fun to roll in knowing that with indycar being such a huge part of their history 
having been part of a winning car back in the 1950s and now again in 2021 on the Marshank Racing number 06, Elio Castro Neves entry. Just love the deep roots of the Justice Brothers in our world of IndyCar. And so why not pay a quick little listen to Mr. Justice, Ed Justice Sr. from the 1960s. And once we're done with that cool little retro promo, we're going to roll into your Q&A. Do you hear a tapping noise in your car's engine as you drive along? That tapping noise is sticking hydraulic valve lifters. Let me show you a product called Quality Engine Tune-Up that's guaranteed to free those sticky hydraulic valve lifters as you drive. Hydraulic valve lifters operate with a very close clearance, and when gum and varnish accumulates, this causes the lifter to stick, making a tapping noise. Quality Engine Tune-Up removes the gum and varnish off the valve lifters, letting them operate smoothly and quietly. Quality Engine Tune-Up gives your car's engine new pep, more power, plus quicker starts in any kind of weather. Quality Engine Tune-Up is guaranteed to free sticky valves and lifters, or it costs you nothing. So watch for this rack of quality products at your local dealer, and add a can of Quality Engine Tune-Up to the oil in your car. It's the one that frees valves and lifters while you drive for only $1.35. Tell him that Justice sent you. All right, time to rock and roll with your Q&A. Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, we're talking about ovals. We are talking about ovals. We're talking about race car tracks. We're talking about IMSA, NASCAR, you name it. Tend to open the show with a cluster of uh, like-minded questions, so we are indeed doing that. Who goes first? Ethan Patrick, you are up from Facebook, says, So, with the need for more ovals and the desire as well, why not entertain the notion of a place like Winchester or Lucas Oil Raceway Park? Sure, they need a few upgrades. That's a delightful <laughs> underserving of the obvious fact. Sure, they need a few upgrades, as in there is absolutely no way they meet the safety needs of IndyCar. But anyways, uh, but the stands would be packed, Ethan says, and the fan base is built in. Winchest in particular is lightning quick, and at a half mile would be plenty big enough to provide some great racing on those high banks. Look, I can't disagree, Ethan. I'd love to see it. And who wouldn't? You aren't a human being if you don't have a desire to see IndyCars at Winchester or what I'll always refer to as IRP, Indianapolis Raceway Park. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you say, hey, considering how fast our cars go, considering how hard they hit, considering how they're not made out of steel and just everything is super protected for the drivers in a way that a really hard wall or fencing uh, would not shred these mostly carbon fiber-ish vehicles uh, and potentially injure the drivers in unfortunate ways. Uh Love the idea, my friend. Just, yeah, there would indeed need to be a few upgrades before that could happen. But I truly, fantasy-wise, this needs to happen somehow. Uh, And I do realize that if we talk about some of the places IndyCar has gone, Pocono comes to mind, you go, well, don't they go faster there, Pruitt? And isn't the uh, risk of injury even higher? Yes. And I will admit that while I enjoyed 
the Pocono event, both attending it and even just watching it remotely, uh, there's a fear factor there that was a little bit uncomfortable. So true, uh, there are dangerous places that IndyCar has gone recently in terms of ovals. Yeah, uh, this might just be an iRacing thing, Ethan. It might have to be the uh, IndyCar Fantasy Oval package uh, that we can sign up for and play. Uh, Matt Grabash, and I don't know if I just murdered your last name. Grabash, maybe? Please tell me. I'm sorry. I'm good at some things, Matt. Getting people's last names that have a few different ways of pronunciation coming along. Uh, getting those correct, uh, yeah, maybe not one of my strong suits. But anyways, Matt, first time questioner. Thank you. Love it when folks send in questions for the first time and join in on the conversation. says, with the talk of adding ovals heating up, why doesn't IndyCar consider Daytona? NASCAR races at IndyCar's home track. Why can't IndyCar race at NASCAR's home track? Yeah, uh, this might be a relationship when it comes to things like this, it's a little bit of a, a one-way relationship. Obviously, there is and has been uh, plenty of instances where IndyCar has raced at NASCAR-owned tracks. NASCAR coming to IMS, its Brickyard routine, that was a big and good thing for IMS helped raise a lot of money, did a lot of things. They're trying to get it back to being big and popular and and good. Just say that the notion of IndyCar racing at Daytona feels like it's something they would never let happen. Might they let it happen on the road course? Possibly. Know that, what, 15 years ago, whatever the exact date was, there was a uh, IRL test there, um, but for, I don't know why, Matt, that with the Indy 500, Indianapolis Motor Speedway being twice as old and having twice as much history as NASCAR's big track, I don't know why, quote, us with the track that has been around far longer is steeped in so much more history why having NASCAR is a thumbs up and the concept of IndyCar going to their track with half of that history is considered not a chance ever, but that is the way that it is. We roll back to, what was it, 1994, the inaugural Brickyard 400. Trust me, this was not welcomed with open arms by IndyCar's uh, diehard fans. This was a big slap in the face. Huge controversy at the time. You fast forward the clock, obviously, where we're not too far away from a 30th anniversary. It's become normalized. So today, totally common for NASCAR to come and play at IMS. No real uproar. It was a huge thing back in the day, though. I would just imagine, Matt, that if and by chance there was talk of IndyCar coming and doing the full NASCAR oval, oh boy, this would not be met with a lot of positivity from the public, that being NASCAR fans. But yeah, uh, just weird how the door's been open in one direction, not the other. I can't imagine a time where that would change, though. Thanks for joining in, Matt. Really do appreciate you and 
don't hesitate to tell my dumb self how to not murder your last name. Uh, Justin Ford says, could a Nashville street plus Nashville oval back to back weekend thing be an option for the future? Says I wasn't following the series when they ran at the oval last, but I thought the NASCAR race was great this year. I mean, it, it's certainly in the could possibility, Justin, I know that Nashville as an oval has expressed interest in getting back together, um, reuniting the band with IndyCar. Can't tell you the likelihood of that, but having been there once or twice, uh, working as a IndyCar crew member in the Earl days, uh, IRL days. Yeah. Did enjoy Nashville. Did enjoy that oval, but if I had to look at, the conversation which led to the story that I did uh, with Roger Penske a week or two ago, whenever that was. Of course, you have the words that are written from the interview, the quotes provided. But then you also get the part that doesn't really always convey in a story. And that was some of the underlying tones. And if there was one major takeaway from the conversation of, hey, we all know that more ovals are needed thoughts on whether that could start to change quickly next year and is this a longer-term priority and so on and so forth. Um, He outlined it fairly well, I think, in the conversation of, hey, we've got big super speedway. We've got intermediate oval with gateway. Uh, What is it, 1.25 miles? We've got, we call it a super speedway. It's kind of somewhere between with Texas at one and a half miles, uh, and lots of banking. Obviously, gateways, not a ton of banking. His general tone uh, that I received was, we need to fill the short oval uh, hole in our offerings. Didn't hear, didn't get the impression so much of numbers. Hey, we have this amount this year, and... By this date in the future, we want that to be up to a different number. There wasn't so much of a numeric angle to this, Justin, but there was certainly a recognition of whether it's an Iowa, whether it's a Richmond, whether it's a whatever, need to make sure that we have the correct oval variety that we've lost slightly. And I hope in there, maybe just purely my dreams here, not sharing a insider tip, for example, but I'd love if there was one more oval added. I'd love if there were a couple more, but assuming that IndyCar will find a short oval to plug that hole in their offerings, I'd love to see at least one additional oval added that is just a little bit of a outlier, meaning, hey, it doesn't fit a formula. So could it be a Nashville? Could it be a, I don't know what, but just something where you go, oh, cool. I, I like that. That's a little bit different than what I expected. Again, I don't really know whether that is a Nashville or somewhere else. Y'all will tell me, tell IndyCar what you're thinking, but just, a, hey, let, let's give folks something that's a little bit of a surprise. Would say if it could be Milwaukee, you know, uh, boy, would that not, cut down on the amount of questions that come into uh, Robin's mailbag. And uh, we get here is a bit of a humorous thing, uh, seemingly once every week or two, but 
yeah uh maybe we do milwaukee just to ease the burden on indycar journalists from answering a question that will never die uh let's go to james malloy james how are you my friend thanks for uh, joining in on this conversation as well says how plausible would it be for indycar nascar to team up at an oval says in the same vein how plausible or possible would it be to have more indycar nascar or indycar and imsa double headers more value for the fans that choose to attend and more chances for cross promotion and cross pollination i would think let me pick up the last item first in that chat with rp he did say that there is some desire on the imsa front to do more double headers did put the ball in imsa's court though which surprised me a little bit uh came across as if this has been something indycar is open to but maybe hasn't been received with the same amount of interest from imsa it just it's what it came across like not saying that's what it is but it felt like oh okay did interview IMSA president John Doonan need to get that story out here shortly. One of the questions in there was on the specific topic. Hey, uh, IndyCar says he'd like to do more. Is it up to, you know, is it something you'd want to do? And uh, I'll be frank. I don't totally remember the answer, uh, but I will uh, obviously look at the transcript and read through that and get the answer out. But I think there's the most natural fit here, James. NASCAR is the clear number one motorsports property in the country nothing else is close by a mile indycar imsa fit on that second tier below nascar obviously you could throw in nhra could maybe throw in ama or you know pick a couple other things but in terms of hierarchy stature power all those things dumb obvious overstatement here nascar is way at the peak and then about halfway down the mountain you start to bump into indycar then you go a bit further down the mountain and you bump into imsa and some other properties i'd say it makes sense for there to be more mid-tier second tier um type of gatherings and collaborations than maybe indycar in nascar really getting together on an oval i know we have the harvest gp we've got a little bit of crossovery stuff happening from a road course standpoint here but if we are talking about the thing that makes nascar nascar the big thing that draws fans to their events do you realize that you know they too are not exactly exploding with the same number of fans they once had problem indycar has been dealing with for many many years now but no matter what there is a fact that nascar ovals that is what makes them who they are and as strong as they are i would just say that it would be a curious decision by nascar to openly invite or hold a combo weekend with IndyCar on an oval and know that again in the past there have been lots of hey NASCAR trucks are running on Friday night at whatever oval and then the IndyCar race is Saturday or however it works out but I'm talking at the top I don't think NASCAR needs it I don't think they want to confuse anyone and or 
honestly make new fans of IndyCar. Uh, they are a rival, even though IndyCar, NASCAR, IMSA, whatever, a lot of rival organizations do collaborate once or twice a year on something at some event, wherever. There's really no effort to try and turn grandstands full of <laughs> NASCAR fans and IndyCar fans. So that's the first thing. The second thing, just to close here, James, is so who is the headliner, Right. You could say, well, hey, IndyCar is going to be the headliner on a Saturday and NASCAR is going to be the headliner on a Sunday. Great. Uh, from a, a presentation standpoint, a reputation standpoint, James, you're still dealing with a uh, who opens the show, who closes the show. And from a concert standpoint, the closer, that's the headliner. That's the big draw. Everyone that plays before cool thanks you may love them they may be your favorite band but yeah you're not the main attraction here can we think of a scenario where the very proud and very defensive folks at nascar who do not want to give up an inch of progress territory or anything to any other series would actually have their cup series go first and have indycar close the event as the headliner i cannot think of any point in time in my life that that would happen james so can't disagree that it would be amazing to have indycar and nascar teaming up doing a big oval i mean i think crowd size would be absolutely insane <sighs> this is still we're getting into diva territory here james absolutely getting into diva territory and yeah uh we're gonna keep singing trying to close the show and hope everyone else loses their voice because we're not giving up the stage and being seen as the biggest best and last so yeah i wish it wasn't the case but it is gonna close here in the opening oval cluster of questions from a pal jameen tuttle says glad you got to enjoy some vacation with chabral lots of oval questions and i hear people talk about kentucky and I would love that since I live close by, but it's turned into a storage facility for both Amazon and Ford. It says, hopefully something could be done to clear parking for fans, but it doesn't look hopeful. It says, I love ovals and want them, but don't you think rushing into a bad oval event just to add one hurts the series? It says, this year has been great and patience is a virtue. Hopefully we don't jump into something just to have it. Perfect closing observation here jameen and thanks to our pal jim kaiser who puts together the questions for me and sets the order and he's so good at this uh thanks to tim falkowitz who set the standard that jim has been continuing here so i'm with you jameen i i would say for sure indycar needs to get one or more ovals on the calendar quickly just from a maintaining interest of its fans who love ovals more than road and street courses. You go too many years without the right balance and you do risk losing a decent portion of your audience. But most importantly, as you raise here, how many ovals has IndyCar gone to for the first time or returned to in recent years, the last decade, where you go, awesome, Phoenix, I, I love that place. Great memories of the 90s. 
uh, frankly, both CART and the IRL, where, boy, the grandstands were really healthy. And then it all went away. Hey, Fontana, holy cow, we've got IndyCar history here. Gilles DeFerrin's qualifying lap record at 241 miles an hour from the CART days. And we've got some of this and that. And, boy, there's been great races. And, oh, are there 5,000 people in the stands? Are there 3,000? I don't know what the number is, but this is a glorified test. We're we're kind of here by ourselves. They're combined with 25 entries, 26 entries. You've got a couple hundred people on pit lane and in the paddock. When that group represents 10% of the overall number of bodies at a motor racing event, oh boy, have we failed. So to your point, don't want to rush. Don't want it to be a we did it just to appease some fans, but it's a commercial failure. It's a visible public failure. That is the thing that makes this a hard decision. Because while, to your point, it would be easy to say, hey, we're going to Kentucky, we're going to Nashville, we're going to Richmond, we're going to wherever, if there is not a promotional excellence behind it, like we see every year at Gateway, also known as Worldwide Technologies Raceway, or what we're seeing leading into the Nashville Street Race, where you go, oh my goodness, this is a victory already, and the first lap has yet to be turned, just based on the crazy amount of promotions they're doing to get folks to come in. I mean, without something that has the grandstands at minimum half full something that has serious buzz around it at whatever new ovals that's the big thing to avoid because it is only hurt indycar and while we're in this seemingly start to a a rich restoration of the series and it growing and having better tv ratings and the quality of racing being good and just Right? It feels like everything's on the up. Yeah. Going to a new track or two where the TV cameras expose a total lack of interest. I just don't know if that is something that IndyCar can afford to have happen. So, just to close here, perfect, perfect wrapper on the conversation, Jameen. And yeah, I don't know where we end up going to add those ovals, but the bigger picture i would say is really where indycar needs to focus most of its energies and if it can find a track with a promoter or who knows a track that might allow some good folks from gateway or wherever else to help uh, knowing that in theory indycar might be going to some places for the first time or a place it hasn't been forever both kind of the same scenario where you lack a ready and waiting fan base to go Uh, to turn up, I should say. Uh, However it comes together, yeah, cannot afford to look weak and unpopular just for the sake of adding an oval or two. So, all righty, that closes that. We're going to move on to some more fun and different topics with a couple of new first-time questionnaires. Uh, I think three in a row. So let's get rolling here. With Ed Walk, and I should mention, by the way, 
I'm continuing this recording at 7.02 p.m. on a Friday night. Pruitt, don't you have better things to do on a Friday night? I do, but I'll be spending all day tomorrow uh, in storage trying to downsize that and get moved to a place that charges a lot less than the crazy amount uh, the current place is raising its prices to. And then, I don't know, Sunday I figure I should probably take a day off. So, anyways, uh, apologies for just getting this done way late in the week. And now uh, we're going to get rolling here. We're going to go with Ed. It says, fairly new listener, first time asking a question. A couple weeks back, Roger Penske mentioned the series that ongoing talks with two potential new manufacturers, engine suppliers. Easy to speculate on the numerous potential manufacturers entering or re-entering the series. It's hard to imagine any of the top teams breaking their current deals with either Chevy or Honda. Can you give us an idea which teams have solid relationships with their engine supplier and which teams you think might be willing to uh, step out and go play with a new manufacturer? Awesome question here. Perfect uh, first one, Ed. So thank you for that. Biggest guide for this? is happiness so as we find every year in some cases ed it's been going on for a while you have teams within both camps who are super happy feel like they are top of the food chain whether it's being asked to do engine testing uh whatever kind of testing whatever kind of anything simulator this develop that whatever there's always a couple of teams that seem to be a little bit closer to the heart of their engine manufacturer. Now, I'm not limiting this to IndyCar. Uh, you'll find this across pretty much any multi-manufacturer championship, but certainly the case here. So who's really happy? Who's close to the, uh, close to the good old Chevy and Honda camps? Well, if we start with the Chevy side, You'd have to say the most obvious one, top of the food chain, guy who funded and co-founded Ilmore, which builds the Chevy engines, that would be Team Penske. No question there. It's a little bit of an interesting dynamic, Ed, in that if you look at the amount of full-time Chevy teams, full-time Honda teams, it's not like there's a great abundance. So... Instead of it being a case of, okay, well, there's one or two or maybe three kind of at the top and a whole middle section, and then there's some at the bottom really feeling no love. It's kind of an either-or thing, and so that's the weird dynamic. There's not a huge distance in some cases between the haves and have-nots with the manufacturers, and therefore you get some who are close or think they're close, and wonder why they aren't getting more love. So getting down to specifics, as I try and use words with my mouth, on the Chevy side, obviously Team Penske, top of the list, and regardless of whether Roger was there from day one with Ilmore, easy to say, take a look at the championship, this year, last year, the year before, you name it, Penske's the number one performer, you could easily say the best, and therefore, no big surprise if they're looked to both from tenure and also delivery each year of quality results. Hey, they're probably always going to be there, always going to be happy. No question of them going away. 
where do we go after that? Well, doing the historically thing a little bit, Ed, you'd have to say, well, knowing that of the Chevrolet full-time teams after Team Penske, we're looking at Ed Carpenter Racing probably as P2 on the depth chart. Would say that could very well be changing this year. Want to wait till the year's out before we make any grand proclamations, but Aaron McLaren SP, new to the uh, Chevy family uh, starting last year, definitely with Pato Awards work this year, no question. He's second in the championship. He's ahead of any of the Penske drivers. So again, got to give full credit there, but just give them a little bit of time to fully work into being at the top, near the top for Chevy, but could safely say Penske... Aero McLaren SP, Ed Carpenter, that's the trio of proven results. Doubt they're going to be going anywhere, uh, especially the Aero McLaren SP and the Ed Carpenter side. Ed's whole team is built around being American, and I don't foresee that changing. So Penske's obviously not going anywhere. It's his dang company. Uh, So locked in pretty solid on those two. After that, say Aero McLaren SP is really close to being number two. Uh, if not, they'll be the solid number two by the end of the year. And after that, definite drop-off. Uh, it's more on the Honda side where there's a rich middle section, many of whom feel they deserve more love, more opportunities, more, more, more. So if we look at the Chevy side, you'd say Carlin would be perfect to move to another manufacturer. Not because they dislike Chevy or anything else, but uh, that's a team not exactly overflowing with cash. And that would certainly benefit from, I'd say, a manufacturer alliance where there could be some of those advantages, some of those, hey, let's do more stuff with you since you're one of our new pillar acquisitions in terms of a team partner. That, admittedly, being outside the top three of the Chevy depth chart in terms of performance. I can't deny that. Also need to look at AJ Foyt and that team with Chevy. Obviously, AJ being an American, the team being just crazy proud American. Sure. Also, they've all used Hondas. They've used a variety of engines over the years. Would say that team would certainly benefit from a new manufacturer and any infusion of cash, engineering, general R&D support. Once again, making nothing critical about Chevy and their involvement with the Foyt team, but between Carlin and Foyt, boy, those are two I would say would be very interested strictly from the commercial engineering, you name it, support side that they might be able to get more out of a new manufacturer looking to come in and do big things. The slight modifier to that is just the obvious one of the Foyt team is certainly showing great potential with our beloved French fry, Sebastian Bourdais, but as a whole, the team definitely has not maintained the strong start that they had, so they've faded a bit. Hopefully they'll be on their way back. Uh, Carlin team has done, I think, some really impressive stuff with a single car and very limited resources. 
in both cases, though, we are not talking about teams that, if they signed with new manufacturer X, would be running right at the front with new manufacturer X, unless that engine was kicking the butt out of Chevy and Honda. If just on straight parity-minded everything, these are a couple of teams that they would benefit more from the relationship, at least in the beginning, first year, two, or three, than the manufacturer itself. On the Honda side, also I would say fairly obvious that a a certain Chip Ganassi Racing won a bunch of championships for Honda in recent years. Clearly, P1 on the depth chart. No question about that at all. Where do you go for second? Hmm. Right? We can look at the championship standings right now. I think we would logically plug Andretti Autosport in there not having the most awesome of years across their entire four-car program. Uh, Ganassi, we could certainly make the counter-argument. Its drivers are currently first, third, and what, uh, fifth with Ericsson? Yeah, they're they're doing pretty good. We've got, what, one Andretti driver in Colton Herta in the top ten. Then after that, both Ray Hallett and Lanigan full-timers. I think ninth and 10th with Graham and Takuma would, I don't think I'd be speaking out of turn by saying the big two that Honda has had for a while, a little while now, has been Ganassi and Andretti. I think there's a, a reasonable argument to be made from the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan side that, you know what, uh, we've been rising and embrace us more, hold us closer uh, than you have been. And I think that's happening more. And I, I only think it will continue to happen to a higher degree. So depth chart, go with Ganassi, Andretti, and Ray Hall. After that, that's where things start to get a little bit interesting. Well, let me actually, before we get to the uh, the rest and the potential conversions, we've heard more than once that Andretti Autosport is open to switching back to Chevy. I believe that was coming during the last contract negotiation with Honda. Can't tell you whether that was purely a negotiating tactic, kind of a normal one, though. Hey, we're with you, but we sure are thinking about going to the other one, and you hope the one you're with raises the amount of whatever support they're going to put out. Knowing that they have been a Chevy team, started off as a Chevy team, and then switch to Honda. Um, I, I'd say if there's one big team that could align with a new manufacturer, regardless of who they're with right now, it'd certainly be Andretti Autosport. Uh, financially, I think that would be a positive thing for them. And yeah, just personality-wise, yeah, that's that's the thing we got to come back to here, Ed. Personality-wise. The Andretti team's always looking for the next best thing, the the newest, greatest, how might you be able to improve us, make us better. I'm not saying the other teams aren't, right? Of course, everyone's always trying to get better. Some, though, maybe more than some, have a mindset of how do we get better with who we are in terms of our partners and how we're constructed, how do we optimize who we are. 
some others, and I would probably put Andretti in this group, have that same conversation without maybe the consistent degree of we're only going to do it with who we're with, ride or die. Uh-uh, uh-uh, bad boys for life. Like that, uh, I don't know if I've seen that demonstrated to the same extreme as some of the other big teams in IndyCar, regardless of who they're aligned with. So that might be the big one that would convert to whomever. And I think that's a bit known. Like really, if you're looking to get in, looking to be with a big team, you're going to have to do some something remarkable to get a Chip Ganassi to switch. Uh, you're going to have to do something impossible to get an Ed Carpenter. Uh, Ray Halls are deeply Honda and have been for a very long time. So, again, I think Andretti is the one place to, to focus our big flip, Ed. After that, in the Honda camp, would a coin in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Would a manufacturer go and try and convert a Dale coin and use them as a pillar of of beating everyone else? I don't know. Uh, We've seen there's a reason to have great hope for what they can do. If Hi, Rose. If we... It's our cat Rosie meowing for reasons I don't fully know. Hi, sweetheart. We... think Romain Groschaw is probably going to end up at a different team if he were to remain at coin for a number of years that might be something a manufacturer would want to align with but without that you know Dale how many of the current drivers within Dale's camp were with the team last year uh the answer is zero how many of the drivers that were there last year were there the year before I'll admit I don't remember exactly what the number is, but all I'm getting at is it's a place of high turnover. It's a place that you usually have one very good race-winning type driver and then usually one that's not necessarily of that caliber. Uh, I know you could say the same thing at Foyt. Uh, You might be able to say the same thing about some others, but just don't know. Don't know if a major auto manufacturer would look to a Dale Coyne and say, yep, uh, we're going to go with you and we're going to do big things. If he can hold on to some bigger pieces, uh, then maybe that would be attractive for them. After that, uh, where do you go? Meyershank Racing? Honda? Uh, nope. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's about as snug a relationship as you're going to find between a team and a manufacturer. Also knowing that Shank, uh, Meyershank represents... Uh, the Acura side of Honda in IMSA, there's nothing going on there. So, uh, right? There's just not a lot there. So, yeah, if you were to put on your list of who a manufacturer might have, Andretti would be the number one target, and I'd say the most likely to join whomever and deliver some serious value for that manufacturer. I would say Foyt would be in there for sure. Uh, If they hold on to Bourdais, uh, I'd say that would be a a pretty good piece for them to consider aligning themselves with. Carlin for sure, and I would love it for him. I'd be the happiest of all the teams that might move to a new supplier, provided that supplier is doing really serious things to uh, uh, support and backstop their team. Carlin would be the one that has me smiling the most. 
coin, I think for sure. I uh, have heard for years about never feeling like they get enough respect and enough this, that, and the other. And I'm not saying that's accurate. Just saying you hear the little grumblings of, hey, uh, we're way too far down the depth chart to uh, feel a lot of love. So I'd say there's a pretty strong possibility there. After that, I think we're about done. So, Ed, thanks for sending that in. That sounded really weird. Sorry, I was swallowing while saying that. Ed, thank you for sending that in. All right, that's better. Uh, hey, Max Camposano. Beautiful words. Hey, Marshall, long-time listener, first-time questioner. Uh, he says, after reading an excellent racer.com column, as they all are, all right, I'm going to challenge you on that, a few weeks ago, uh, concerning, I believe, the demographics of IndyCar's audience, I wanted to ask if IndyCar has any specific plans or ideas to try and reach out to the younger viewers. It will need to go forward. Uh, he says, I'm 21. and have almost never met another person my age at a race. <sighs> I don't know how many races you've been to, but if you've been to enough, that makes me really sad to hear, Max. Um, says I'm on my college's formula SAE racing team and preach the gospel of IndyCar to everyone there. But it seems like most people my age either have little interest in watching racing or just watch a little F1 need to uh, keep us updated on your formula SAE stuff, by the way, that's uh, near and dear to my heart. Had never been a part of it, but, uh, have been a great admirer of formula SAE for, uh, decades. Uh, Max closes by saying it makes Watching races on Sundays, a rather lonely affair. All right, somebody needs to join the Prue Day uh, collective here and uh, live tweet with them and have fun. Um, says, I just wonder if IndyCar is aware of this and if it even knows how to approach this demographic. says, Roger Penske may be a genius, but I suspect he isn't very up-to-date on Generation Z. And says some, uh, he says, Always love to tune in and hear a fellow Bay Area native's thoughts on IndyCar each week. Well, you've sealed the deal, Max. You're my new favorite listener. Um, First-time questioner involved in Formula SAE and a Bay Area guy. Holy cow. That's that's the holy triumvirate of awesomeness. So one of the great things about being young and smart, since you're going to uh, college, one of the good things about being young and smart, Max, is folks like you uh, observe the obvious that maybe not everybody gets and that is to your exact point hi uh indycar's general demographic while getting a little bit younger is still way too old and so how do you appeal well i can tell you a couple things that i know and i'll share some other thoughts on things i suppose of the things that i know and i would not necessarily paint all of this as a positive but who knows i Certainly could be off target on it. Uh, I know that IndyCar places next to zero value on any and everything that is not digital. If it's something related to print, if it's something related to just anything that a 21-year-old named Max would not want to consume on a tablet or smartphone they want nothing to do with it so all right that's not a bad strategy right maybe ignores uh, a lot of history a lot of tradition in terms of other mediums that aren't digital but okay uh, i can understand thinking that's the way forward okay um 
I couldn't tell you what else is really happening to, quote, appeal to younger Gen Z folks like yourself. I'm not saying they aren't doing things. I'm not saying they aren't trying. I'm just saying I'm not aware of anything that stands out to me as massively connective. There's one area that I see them doing, and you've probably seen it, and I'm sure a lot of y'all listening have seen it uh, more than anything, and that is, hey, are you a YouTuber? Are you a TikToker? Well, gosh darn it, we're going to put you on a plane and fly you out, and you're going to get to go to the Indy 500, or you're going to get to go here or there, and we're going to just give you carte blanche. You're going to do two-seater rides with Mario, and you're going to get to have this happen and that happen. I get that. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing at all. would just say that, is that a strategy, though? Is trying to connect with the young people of today through their preferred mediums, is that the ticket to building a new fan base and having something that is long tenured, well-established and super successful. I don't know. And I say that because that's not a new tactic, right? (laughs) Um, Just overstating the obvious here. So, Hey, YouTube, TikTok, social media strategy in general, more or less 100% digital. Got it. That's the, quote, modern up-to-the-minute way to try and go after a new audience. But keep in mind that before social media, YouTube, and everything else existed, there were other things that were the latest, newest to try and get a hold of new fans or build new fans. And before that, whatever the previous thing was, could have been 70s, could have been 80s, could have been 90s, there was something else that was considered the new popular main thing to attract people to a sport, uh, something, a car, uh, a beverage, a whatever. Like, this is not a new strategy. That's all I'm trying to get at, Max. It might be using the most current thing, but that's always what happens. There was a point in time where radio was brand new and television was brand new. And, hey, we're going to try and get to people through television commercials. Oh, and here's the big light overhead, the light bulb going off. And, oh, this is the new thing. Great. Everybody does it. Cool. It certainly had an impact in the beginning, and it continues to. I get that. Uh, But isn't everybody trying to sell you stuff through television commercials when TVs first started coming out and commercials started appearing. Everyone did it. Well, just overstating the obvious here, Max, isn't everybody kind of sort of going to social media? Haven't they for gosh, a long time now, isn't every entity we can think of that is registered at a, as a business having its employees in the, mail room in the executive boardroom doing some sort of dance to try and make you think they're cool and hip so you sign up for their service or buy their product or whatever like just saying uh i appreciate the fact that indycar is trying to 
conform to modern promotional trends. That's what every company does every year, as long as there have been companies and things to promote. Does this automatically make a 21-year-old like yourself go, well, I'm now mesmerized and I need to follow IndyCar because, hey, they're on name the platform and I see them doing stuff. I don't know. Uh, that That's just the part where I'm not so sure. That's the supposing a little bit. Is that really building or is that just doing what everyone else does, trying to get to the same young audience and convert? I don't know if I have answers. I'm not a marketing and promotions person, but I don't know if these things are working. If I use your input here, Max, it would suggest that when you go to a race and you're seemingly the only 21-year-old person there or feels like you're a rare, rare breed, uh, I don't. is that a metric to use? Is that evidence that maybe it isn't working? I don't know. Um. I just am not sure if whatever current belief that I know of to be hardcore, we're all in with this digital strategy. I don't know if it's moving the needle. I don't know if there is a play, Max, to move the needle. I just don't know. Uh, I don't know if auto racing is in its you know, latter stages of relevance. I don't know. Not don't want to sound Mr. Doom and Gloom, but these are things I think about. I've been on the planet since 1970, so I've been able to see it go through booms and busts and booms and busts. It's certainly on a modest boom right now, in IndyCar at least, but is that more lapsed viewers coming back to follow? Is that more young viewers like yourself that we just, at least in your example, you don't see at the track very often? I don't know. But I can tell you that if I look at the avatars of those who react to IndyCar t- content that I post on the good old social medias, I, I struggle to recall seeing a lot who are as young as you. So I don't know, man. I don't know if Gen Z is the cutoff line and there won't be many to follow. Or if there's a a hidden growth that I'm unaware of and others are unaware of that are really getting into IndyCar and other forms of racing. I know, referring to that article that you read on Racer, that, again, there's some good evidence that there's a younger-ish audience looking in and growing. Not all 50-plus as it was for so, so long. But, you know, if IndyCar gets younger and now its average fan is 43 compared to 53 or 58, I mean, that's great. Just doesn't speak to the problem you were mentioning, which is, hey, you need 20s. (laughs) You need a lot of 20s. You need teens, hopefully, but you need teens and 20s and uh, super early 30s as well if this is going to be something sustainable in the long term. So I don't have answers as to how that gets solved. But I do know that just doing what everyone else is doing, I don't know if that's a strategy so much as the thing that just every business does. All right, let's go to our third and final, at least in this cluster. New questionnaire, Doug L.D. Lance from Facebook. Hey, MP, first time. 
hypothetical question here. You get to fill out the final spot in the This Screams America podium. Says, uh, so far we've got one, Alex Pillow and Fried Chicken, and two, Mike Shank and Bush Light. Uh, what driver, owner, crew member do you place with them to finish this off? All the best to you and your better half. Um, I might be a little bit not sure, Doug, on the This Screams America part with our dear friend, member of the Day listener group. No joke. He's legitimately joined uh, and listens. Alex Pillow from Spain. But we'll adopt him. I mean, I've adopted him. I love the kids. So, you know, because I do, that makes him American, kind of. I don't know. Does he get a passport? Does he get dual passport privileges because of that? I don't know. But, yes, the kid from Spain who loves fried chicken, who mentioned loving it in Japan. So, again, we're maybe falling off the bandwagon a little bit with the uh, Screams America part, but I'll go with you on the fried chicken part. Shank and Bushlight. Uh, where do we go for the third? I want to go Rossi. I love me some Alexander Rossi, Alejandro Rossi, whatever uh, exactly we want to call him. Love that guy. Um, is Alexander Rossi's rage, is that American? It, it feels like it. I'm not comparing him to Michael Jordan, but I'm saying, like, that's the thing that fueled Michael Jordan, right? Like, it's just this, I want to kill and destroy everything, and when I'm done, I'll smile and drink a beverage, but I still probably won't be totally satisfied. I don't, I'm going to want to come back tomorrow and, like, kill and destroy more. Like, an inexhaustible well of rage. He's also really funny, but again, uh, you know, darkness. I think that's his nuclear power. So the super ragey athlete who's never satisfied, that feels very American. So I'm going to go with that as the answer. Uh, but there's the modifier, right? You, can, you got Alex Pillow, adopted American, uh, passports on your way, a new Day membership hard card too. Alex is on its way. I just dropped that in the mail before I started recording again. Uh, Alex and fried chicken shank and bush light. What? I think it's a drink, right? Doesn't he like whiskey or is it bourbon or are those the same things? I don't know. Mark Gillespie is going to give me one of our listeners. He's going to give me a hard time. I don't know the difference between the two. I don't think I've tasted either one. Um, but I think he, he's told me about this on the show and I don't remember it. So again, further proof, I'm a moron, but I think him, um, that baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire from the walking dead. Is it Negan? Is that the guy's name? Whatever his name is, uh, who was, what didn't he like wave the checker or wave the green flag of the Indy 500 a couple of years ago? That was weird. Um, Alexander Rossi, a photo of Rossi with that walking dead bad guy, whatever guys baseball bat wrapped in, uh, oh boy, really nasty barbed wire at the top over just lean rest, not over his shoulder and a glass a sifter? Is that what it is? I don't know. And a glass of whatever it is, bourbon or whiskey that he loves. That seems like everything Alexander Rossi is in my mind. Could be totally wrong. I hope he sends me a text and calls me a moron yet again. Well-deserved if he does. But that's what I picture. So Rossi, 
a device of death and hard liquor. Uh, shank and glorified stale water. Alex Pillow and a part of an animal that has been breaded and fried. I think that's the answer, Doug. Thanks for sending it in. And appreciate uh, you and all three of you jumping in here as first timers. All right. Uh, we're going to mash the throttle a little bit here. Where do we go? Uh, JJ Gertler. Love you, JJ. This may be half of a week in sports car question, but hey, any news on Andretti Auto Sports plans at IMSA next year? Uh, that might help clear up some of the IndyCar bingo slots, especially if Hinch can convince Genesis to move to another series. It says, we already know that Penske is starting a sports car team. Uh, can we expect anyone else in the IndyCar paddock to do so? Um, so the the big ticket stuff, the convergence that's happening in IMSA's new top prototype class, where there's going to be five, six, seven manufacturers, that comes online, JJ, in 2023. So nothing that I know of coming for Andretti Autosport in terms of a big shift to a bigger class next year. They're in LMP3, which is the uh, third and lowest tier of prototype classes in IMSA. So my guess would be they would continue there, uh, assuming Jared Andretti wants to continue doing that uh, next year. Um, I would love to hear that Hinch has convinced Genesis to stay with him uh, in anything that he does. That would run a little bit counter to rumors that I have heard, but I'm not saying those rumors are anything more than rumors. Would be safe in saying that of the IndyCar team owners who are not in IMSA at the moment, uh, I have heard nothing about Foyt having anything going there. They always have an interest, but I've heard nothing about it being real. Uh, no, nothing that I know of from Carlin, although they've had European sports car stuff, um, within recent years, uh, Dale Coyne have heard zero there. Uh, have heard Ed Carpenter racing continues to maintain an interest. I don't know if they've spoken with IMSA this year. I did speak with Ed last year, having heard some rumblings about there being a desire. So I should check in on that. Um, after that, that's the funny thing. How many current IMSA teams, I'm sorry, IndyCar teams are in IMSA? Well, Andretti Autosport, Chip Ganassi Racing, Meyer Shank Racing, Ray Hall Edelman Lanigan Racing, and Team Penske. So really the only one that jumps out as a would you, could you, would be the Air McLaren SP side. Now, I'd love to see them there. I think, I'll, I'll have to check in and confirm, but I think they might have inquired or something about, hey, what does it cost, what do you think, so on and so forth, about getting in. But the McLaren side, they've been fairly straightforward in saying uh, they have an interest in doing one of these top-level prototypes. Probably more along the 2024 timeline than 23. Who knows? If they were to do it at all. And this is the McLaren road car side. Obviously, McLaren Racing would be involved in that. We know that Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren Racing, co-owns a sports car team with Michael Andretti. The thing that I continue to hear, and this is all speculation, 
because they haven't made a car, they haven't committed to anything, but uh, you would think if McLaren were to do a IMSA LMDH, and that's what they've said, if they were to do a prototype, uh, they would want to do the IMSA version of it. Uh, I've heard nothing to suggest they would do it with the team they compete with in IndyCar, just as so many other IndyCar teams to do by doubling up in IMSA. I've heard nothing about if McLaren were to do it, they'd expand with Air McLaren SP. I'd love to see it, and it could, who knows, could be discussions behind the scenes already ongoing, and I don't know. But everything I've heard about that, and if it were to happen, uh, would be aligned with teams that either aren't in IndyCar, or there might be one or two others that could be a service provider. But oddly enough, the one that jumps out is maybe the heading in that direction and boy maybe you should start growing and expanding like some of your rivals to do more than one series top tier series um oddly enough i just don't really hear their name mentioned much so hey thanks for that jj um tom blackburn uh based on the info you're hearing from the paddock is ryan hunter a prospect for teams if he becomes available i think he's in demand as I wrote in whatever, I don't remember what it was, a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, everything that I've heard, Tom, is that full-time with the team is not really on the table for next year, but staying with the team potentially in a part-time capacity is. hope that happens at minimum. haven't heard his name really mentioned elsewhere in IndyCar for a full-time deal. That makes me sad because I... Love that guy. Love having him in the paddock. But if he can stay, even in a part-time capacity, I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, I do know that, although it's been a little while, it's been probably a couple of months, whenever I do hear of a potential new high-level sports car thing developing, uh, I usually shoot him a text, knowing that he's been doing sports cars pretty much his entire IndyCar career. Ryan's doubled up and done LMS, Grand Am, IMSA, etc. Uh, I'll shoot him a text, give him a call, say, hey, uh, hasn't been announced yet. I don't know if it's going to get announced. I don't even know what's going to happen, whatever. But you might call this person at this team or this manufacturer to see if there's anything percolating. So uh, and that's not unique to Ryan, by the way. I probably place that call to or that text to a lot of different drivers depending on uh, their could be nationality or alignments or otherwise in terms of manufacturers or history and such. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty normal. I think, uh, just saying, Hey, hearing this thing, give so-and-so a call. There might be something there. So I know his interest is continuing his career full time for many years to come in sports cars. So I gotta believe as talented as he is, uh, that is something that a number of manufacturers would be interested in making, uh, happen. Uh, you say anything on the Oliver Askew front? Haven't heard a lot. Uh, I can just regurgitate some things that I've heard in recent months. And that was, there could be some interest in Andretti in Andretti in trying to get him in a car for a race or two. Um, can't tell you where he would fit on the short list at Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, knowing that they're going to be doing driver evaluations with their third car here to close out the season at the majority of the rounds. 
I know he's on that list. I just don't know where he sits on that list. Um, where else? He says, he also say, it seems like Bush light czar, Michael Shank likes him, but no seat available. Yeah. Uh, just sharing what I've said before, as Mike told me, uh, they were deciding between Oliver and Elio for that second car opportunity opted for veteran experience to benefit the team can find no holes to poke in that argument based on the result that he delivered in their first race together. Uh, but yeah, Elio at his age, 46, it'd be silly to say, yep. And he's going to be going at 49 and 50 and 51 as a full timer. So depending on who's available and who's sniffing around and whatnot, uh, I would hope Oliver would remain on their uh, on their radar. But yeah, definitely a question of timing, Tom, of when that might be uh, something he could step into. And are there any other drivers that might have piqued the team's interest by then uh, or might be available high-level guys uh, at current teams who might be available whenever that 06 goes full-time and has availability? Uh, let's see... Kyle Lisk, 16. How you doing? MP, Santino Ferrucci is obviously getting linked to the third Ray Hall car next year, but are there other teams interested in Santino? I don't know. Part of what I need to do here, uh, starting early Monday morning, is to call more IndyCar teams to put together a new, I guess, part two silly season update fill in on some of the teams that I haven't written about, or maybe just give a more comprehensive what I know uh, update. I can say that in the somewhat recent past, there were teams that were interested in Santino. Price tag attached in many of those instances. I don't know if that price tag was something realistic to hit. Probably closed some opportunities there, but I'll just say this until I can give you a more definitive answer, Kyle. Been pretty awesome to see what Santino can do in a consistent effort as, granted, a third time, third time, third car, part-time effort, every single finish for the team in the top 10. Uh in the interview I did with Bobby Ray Hall a couple days ago, talking about that third car and some of the folks are hoping to test uh, or just the desire to use it to find talent to possibly sign for next year. The one part I didn't throw in just because I thought it was a bit obvious. The only negative is, hey, man, you've done four races, all four top ten finishes. That ranks second to Graham over those races. Uh, of the four that he's done, Graham's had better finishes than Santino, but Santino's actually finished ahead of, on average, ahead of Takuma over those four. The only negative, though, which Bob mentioned more than once was, yeah, but unfortunately we destroyed two chassis <laughs> to get those four top tens. One at Indy, one at Detroit. So there's there's been a cost associated to this evaluation with Santino hard to pin those crashes on anyone but himself. Nonetheless, I heard nothing in Bob's voice 
where his enthusiasm was diminished as a result of those two very costly crashes. So I'll just say that assuming Santino's back in the car one or more times, Bobby mentioned he's likely going to be back for uh, something. Provided he doesn't ruin the narrative, provided he doesn't trash the car again and whether it's destroy a tub or just do significant damage, if he can get through whatever his next race or races happen to be this year with the team, clean and with more strong finishes, I think he puts himself in a really, really strong position to be that third driver next year. Period. End of statement. So I will see if there are others interested in him. I'd have to think crashes aside, there'd be some teams that are maybe a little bit on the fence about him before who might now have a revised view Wow, okay, this kid's a gamer. Personality aside, right? He's certainly not everyone's flavor. Nonetheless, in the car, on race day, this kid goes forward. And whereas he was, uh, obviously he finished sixth at Indy, great big double points haul there. But if you think about what he's done for the team, one oval, three additional road and street courses, reputation, although lifelong road racer, no real oval experience before IndyCar. Uh, he's been the guy, big show, big, big show on ovals, less so in road and street courses. I'd say he's erasing that narrative altogether. So if I'm another team looking with someone to potentially hire, I don't know if he has any more money to bring. Um, as I wrote about last year, spoke about uh, last year, all I'd heard is that the primary backers behind him who'd been putting about $2 million up uh, for him to be an IndyCar were stepping away. Assuming he has no money to bring, I still think he's done enough this year, Kyle, for other teams with a paying opportunity to at least give him a, a, a look, a thought, a call, a something. I'm not telling you Santino Ferrucci is a future IndyCar champion. I don't see that in him at all. But I would say, boy, there are a bunch of folks in IndyCar who aren't champions and yet can deliver seriously good results for a team for many years to come. Graham Rahal, right? Uh, could see a championship for Graham. So far, come close-ish, but I don't know if I've ever looked at Graham in past seasons and said, yep. You're going straight to P1 and staying there. So not so much trying to take a shot at Graham. I'm not. I'm just saying that by saying I don't believe Santino Ferrucci has an IndyCar championship in him, it's not so much of a, a critical statement, knowing that the team he would likely be driving for next year full-time has a sum total of zero championships from its two veterans uh, who are already there. So anyways... Uh, let's go to Casey Kirkstra. I think, Casey, this might be your first post. Uh, if not, the first that I'm reading, at least. Regardless, thank you. Uh, says, hey, MP, who do you see as the next F1 driver, current or former, to try IndyCar? What is it about ovals that makes some European drivers hesitant? Groschon, for example. But others, like Alonzo, jump in. Eh, Alonzo's a little bit crazy in the best kind of way. Uh 
mean, there's a, a reputation for sure. When we talk about drivers getting hurt the worst in IndyCar, uh, and by the worst, I mean fatalities. Of course, they've happened on road courses. Of course, they've happened on street courses. Just saying that the biggest, scariest places with the worst accidents tend to be on the ovals. Therefore, if you're someone in a series that competes halfway around the world, no real oval, it, I would say, familiarity, right? Didn't grow up watching ovals wherever you happen to be in Europe and whatnot. Not a surprise that this thing that is very foreign to them collectively and is the place where you see fatalities and are big, scary, oh my gosh, type crashes happen would be something that would lead most to go, no, I'm good. <laughs> nope, I'm, uh, I'm all right. So I'd say that's just a, a generalism, but Roman's going to do Gateway, uh, a.k.a. Worldwide Technologies Raceway, and he's going to love it, and he's going to be awesome at it, and he's going to uh, just, yeah. He's going to be awesome there. I have no doubt. So um, I think that would do a lot. I really do. Just looking at uh, bigger picture, slightly longer term, on the topic of more F1 drivers looking at IndyCar and being interested in the whole thing, whole calendar, not just road and streets. Roma has been a very powerful uh, point of attraction for drivers. I'll get back to the who do I think might follow but in just a sec. But he, in general, has been a big magnet for drivers. European F1, higher open-wheel, junior open-wheel categories, high-level sports car. He's been someone who is really leading a, a pretty big either change of heart for those who've looked down on IndyCar to piqued a lot of interest for those who maybe never thought of it but realized yeah this guy was with the most garbage team in f1 and guess what he's living his best life and so therefore i might not be in a prime position with whatever team i'm with and i might be able to live my best life granted you're not going to earn nearly as much money but he's doing great work for indycar uh, for free just by excelling with the Dale coin racing team. Uh, the minute he gets onto gateway and excels there, which I think he's going to do. I think that's just going to seal the deal for more to really, truly have an interest. Uh, as for who might be next working on a story for next week, that would include some of that. And it's not so much of a, I've looked through all the names and I've circled. So-and-so as that's the one just more of a, who should, uh, who who really deserves, who would be a good fit. So I don't know if I see anyone in the current F1 field that jumps out as, yep, they're coming to IndyCar by desire. Um, I don't know if I see that. I feel like we're a year or two away from one or two drivers maybe not having the options they want in F1 and deciding but I'm too young to retire, and I don't know if sports cars really interests me, so uh, maybe I need to uh, give our pal Romain a call and follow in his uh, footsteps there. But I think there are a couple of young open-wheelers really 
serious talents uh, from the European side who some IndyCar teams might be giving a look to shortly. So that'll be in a story going up early next week, Casey. Uh, Jack Manson. How you doing, Jack? Now, I love these questions because it's a bit of an echo chamber. Is there any truth to the story about Alex Albon being interested in IndyCar? Well, I'm the guy that wrote that for the first time, uh, Jack. So, yes, uh, the story, which I happened to write, that included his name of being on the radar of, uh, of a team and him expressing interest. Uh, yes, that is true. And I certainly wouldn't write it if I didn't know it to be true uh, and hadn't verified with multiple sources that it was indeed. So there is truth to that story that I wrote about Alex being interested. Uh, as for does he have any backing could, that could make that possible, that wouldn't be a, a position for Alex. He's talented enough, although obviously his time in F1 didn't end the way that he wanted. But I think there's no question that talent-wise, he is someone that any IndyCar team, quality IndyCar team, with a looming vacancy, a need to go and run better with whatever entry might be vacant, uh, knowing that IndyCar is heavy on road and street courses on the calendar, Alex would certainly be a guy to get into a car. And so again, is he a future IndyCar champion? I don't know. I don't know if he scares me more than a Dixon, Newgarden, Herta award so-and-so. I would say I think he could run at or near the front with them. Uh, regardless of whether I think or know if he would be an IndyCar champion shortly after getting here, I think most rational people would say, yeah, go testing with that kid. Um, he sure looks like he's got something to bring. Let's go find out. So oval side again, obviously a uh, bit of a question. Is he interested? Is he not interested? So on and so forth. But yeah, uh, IndyCar has, as I've mentioned on the show, and I think I wrote in a recent silly season column or something like that, IndyCar is just in a little bit of an interesting place right now. And in the next couple of years where, yes, there are some veteran-ish drivers who will be out of contract and could potentially move around to other teams, quality teams, looking for solid, solid uh, skills. Simon Pagino, out of contract at the end of the day with Penske. If Roger doesn't keep him and or he doesn't want to stay, where would he go? Well, we believe there's going to be one paying seat open at Andretti. That's an option. If Aero McLaren SP expands to three cars, as they hope to do, we know that he would be a smart choice to plug into that third car. Um, where else does Simon go? I don't know of any other significant uh, vacancies. Um, nor, again, can I think of, can't think of a lot of things. Um, but I would tell you that, hey, is there a possibility for 
uh, Alexander Rossi. I think he has one more year in his contract after this year. Could he be available? He certainly could. Um, could a couple, could Renus VK after next year, I think, uh, be available? Possibly. Again, there's a couple of possibilies. We're talking about quality teams with the capability of winning races and or championships and some of them having potential vacancies. Hey, if Simon doesn't stay, who does Roger plug in to that fourth car, knowing that he said he wants to stay at four cars? Again, there's some potential names here, there, but all I'm getting at is there's not like a solid cluster of if we want a race-winning championship-caliber person for 2022 that is currently in the paddock, there's not an abundance of options there's a bit of a void frankly would you say some of those teams would want to connect with a next generation driver currently in indy lights uh, would they like to have them sure would they be looking to them to fill that seat and be that front running championship potential type whatever absolutely not um, there's going to be some great kids coming out of Indy Lights at the end of the year and also the end of the following year. Are any of them going to be contenders for serious things uh, at the end of the year? I wouldn't say that. Uh, give me a year or two, maybe three, then we got something to talk about. Right away, no. So all of a sudden, what do you have? Not a lot to fill these spaces and even for the ones we think are going to be amazing a couple years from now, they're also not immediate solutions. So that's the, uh, that's the part where you have to start to wonder about, hey, is an Albon, who might be new to IndyCar, but is certainly experienced enough to fill that kind of sort of turnkey need? Let's talk to him. Let's find some similar ones like that. And then you uh, truly, truly, truly maybe start to have some options. So, But there's just not a lot right now, and that's why I think, in general, you're going to find some IndyCar teams looking to and potentially testing some folks, whether it is recent Formula One graduates, and by graduates, I think in some cases meaning, hey, you no longer part of the dance, uh, some really high-caliber Formula 2-ish type champions, runner-ups, third places, whatever, who haven't been able to land an F1 seat but are certainly F1 caliber? Do I think we could see some experienced sports car drivers, whether it's champions, uh, or frankly, I guess they'd probably all be champions or similar in IMSA or the WEC? I think that's going to be the place, Jack, where that void in the short term, might be filled. So uh, stay tuned. Some fascinating stuff happening here. Uh, going to start to wind down, ramp down. Let me see where uh, Jim put the cutoff line. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get to the cutoff line, but hey. Uh, Daniel Summerskill. How you doing, buddy? says, MP, hope you had a good vacation. Man, we did. We really did. That was the best vacation I think we've ever had. Um it was announced last week that Top Gun Racing are planning their return at the IMS Road Course in August. What are your thoughts on their unique methods of raising sponsorship for the entry? Uh, and, well, let's see. Let's go there first, and then your last question, I'll finish off with that. Uh, what are they charging? It's like $1,500 for a 
is it two inch by four inch quote brick uh vinyl graphics that they're putting on the car basically if you're looking at the side of the car it'd be behind the front wheels um in that section that runs along the part of the tub that runs along uh the driver's legs on both sides Uh, just saying it because it's what it is that's the place indycar teams tend to put a lot of stickers for suppliers and vendors some of the mandatory stickers uh, unless they've been written into the rules saying you must put these in this space on the car that's more visible which they do but uh, usually the okay it's a contingency thing or it's a you know we got we need to run it uh, but we don't really want to uh, you often see those placed in this exact area so you know there's value for the team there's value for the sponsors i guess for the sake of saying they're on the car and then having the legitimate ability to promote that that's often the greatest value to come out of such things but as for could anybody make out your name or even have a clue you were on the car when it goes by yeah not really at all but hey whatever um unique certainly not the first time to do that the concept reminds me a bit of the old uh what was it the yen lammers dome uh lmp car from the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s i'm forgetting exactly uh when it started but uh, the car was black and white and the entire car was made up of small i don't remember the exact size but black and white rectangles and it was done that way so they could sell space to sponsors in every single one of those rectangles bigger than the two inch by four inch that uh, top gun racing is doing but not the first time by any means Uh, but i do have maybe fond memories of that livery uh, knowing that wow you've just tried to sell i don't know a hundred sponsorships at whatever amount of money um that's a lot of contracts that's a lot of money there's a lot of everything but hey it's a lot of printing of stickers and applying but look if that's what it takes to get you there i guess that's what you do uh so yeah i mean i am not surprised by it and i don't say that in a, a critical way the team doesn't have much money they're able to muster up the money to get a car get an engine lease get a tire lease you know shoestring budget a performance at the indy 500 befitting of a team that has almost no money and cannot afford a lot of quality so if this is something that gets them there and they're able to compete it's awesome because it worked so good on them uh your last item here to close i'm gonna take a sip of coffee and yes i'm drinking coffee at 8.05 p.m. on a Friday night, which I shouldn't. Do you expect them to finish anything other than last? I do. I absolutely expect them to finish something other than last. Give the caveat, as I always do, look, if the motor blows, a tire explodes, suspension breaks, a crash, you know, forget all that stuff. Just saying if there's nothing slowing them down and they're able to have a normal race and there's no terrible pit stop that 
drops them 15 spots or puts them a lap down. Just saying, they're able to have a normal race and compete with everyone else without any hindrances. I would be shocked if they were last. And that's for two reasons. Uh, Their race engineer, I apologize if I'm forgetting his name. I think it's Eric Peterson, uh, known just to be a very good engineer for hire. A lot of experience, vast majority of his experience, as I understand, is all road course. So an IndyCar on a road course would be, I would say, a much better fit than trying to engineer that first-time team, first-time everything on an oval. So would say that right there you have the person in charge of the car's speed really operating to their highest proficiency. And then we can't forget that our frickin' C, frickin' Enerson is driving that car, and that kid is extremely talented. So I love the idea here, Daniel. I truly do. Not blowing smoke or whatever. This isn't false enthusiasm. I love the idea of Top Gun Racing doing the Harvest GP or whatever the heck it's called, the second Indy Road Course race. Um, they'll have some good base setup stuff to work from, assuming that Delara and or Chevy help in that regard. I'd be surprised if they didn't. So I think they're going to have a fairly decent starting point. I would expect them to be last in the first session. And, you know, I don't expect them to do crazy shocking things prior to the race, but assuming they can get the car roughed into a, a decent setup, Absolutely, R.C. Enerson can take that thing and deliver above expectations. Now, we're talking about, okay, Jimmy Johnson, Dalton Kellett. Uh, I'm not sure who all else is going to be on the entry list. More the, you know, uh, one-offs and or not super veterans. But there will certainly be a couple of folks that I expect uh, R.C. to be able to duel with and outperform. So I don't know if I'd go crazy and say punching that much higher above their weight, but if a tiny team that needs to sell little tiny sponsorship rectangles uh, placed on a car that you can't see for the most part um, is able to find the money and then go do the race and run in front of a Chip Ganassi racing entry, or an AJ Foyt racing entry, like that's where you drop the mic. <laughs> that is where you drop the mic. So I'm genuinely looking forward to it. Obviously, we will have the championship closer-ish to being settled by then. You know, we're going to ha- be able to take Nashville off the list uh, and then have, what, five to go with uh, the Indy Road Course being the first of those uh, final five. But this is going to be one of the biggest themes that I'm looking forward to probably 99% due to my fandom for RC Enerson and just wanting to see him hopefully do big things. Uh, let's see last couple here before we say good night. Uh, Andy Sterling, what will the track safety features be like for driving nearly 200 miles an hour over a bridge in Asheville. Hopefully it'll include more than scuba gear or an AMR safety boat. Nope. That's all it is, man. 
posted this week earlier on Twitter that they're just using big um, bass fishing catching nets to uh, catch any cars that might go over. It's just standard stuff, uh, just the standard uh, K-wall and uh, fencing and such. But I will hopefully be getting a deeper answer to that here shortly. I'm meant to have old pal Tony Cotman on the podcast, circuit designer, uh, to give us some deeper insights. Uh, let's see. Jeremiah Morell, half of the uh, Prude power couple uh, that I refer to as Sarah Maya, his wife Sarah and Jeremiah, smashed together uh, in Benefer style as Sarah Maya. Uh, says, what would you say the maximum car count is for a healthy series? I know that many of the IndyCar tracks have a cap on the number of cars they can physically fit on pit lane. says, is 28 or 30 cars full-time? Is that plausible? Does that number need to be lower? I know that we could be getting close to 28 here uh, at one or two of the final races of the year. I mean, I'm trying to think back to when IndyCar was at its healthiest uh, cart era type stuff. And I mean, there were some years where you go, how many cars showed up to qualify for name, whatever average road or street course race. It was big 30 plus only problem with that is a lot of those who didn't qualify. Those weren't quality entries or drivers. And even some of those who made it in towards the, the bottom you know, P20, P20 through 28 in that era, <sighs> right? Sketchy. Like, yeah. Uh, think of the one or two drivers who are always there, thereabouts near the bottom of every road and street course race, and then triple or quadruple that number. And that's the kind of stuff that we had back then when there were tons of cars, but the quality certainly wasn't stellar from top to bottom. I mention all that, Jeremiah, or half of Jeremiah, I should say, simply because I think where we're going with the increase in car counts, I think we could be 25, 26 full-time next year. I think the quality would be pretty darn high. Maybe only two or three, you know, who are going to be really happy if they finish inside the top 15. I think that's good. I think if you can get to 26 in IndyCar, I think you're happy. And I also think we stay within the elastic limits of happiness for Chevy and Honda. Because if we're talking 26 cars full-time, and we'll just imagine that it's an even split, 13 full-time leases is still a lot more than they would want. Um, it's a weird thing where both manufacturers know for the health of the series, the more cars, the better. There's more business being done on pit lane. Teams are healthier with more cars, period. Just comes with an added cost to the manufacturers as well. Uh, not making money on those leases. Uh, if not spending considerable amount on those leases, each and every lease they sign. So you start multiplying or you start adding more and more cars. Great for the series. Not necessarily awesome for the manufacturers. That's where that third manufacturer dream, boy, 
all of a sudden, I'd say that's Saramaya, where 26 to 28, I think that becomes a happier and more plausible thing, knowing that in theory, I don't know if it would be an equal third, third, and third spread across those three manufacturers with leases, but at least uh, it wouldn't be hopefully causing any one or two manufacturers to have to fill the majority of the grid. So right now, if IndyCar comes back in 22 with an extra car or two full-time, I think we're in a great place. If you can say you're at 26, I, I think you've got a really positive thing to offer. If you can say you're at 28, I don't know if I could imagine really ever going beyond that full-time in any car in its present form, the cost to compete, the business structure, you know, the, there's no franchising, there's no uh, dedicated value uh, for each team, and there's no real commodity there like um, uh, NASCAR's, is it franchises or whatever they call it there, but um, uh, charters, I should say. Come up with something where there's a, a stronger business argument for teams to really try and push hard to either add more cars or for more entrants, more owners to come in. I mean, that's another big dream of, hey, could we get some more people who own cars? That'd be cool. Like, hey, start an IndyCar team um, and run some. And there's a real business reason for doing it. Uh, I think until some of those things happen, I think 26 is going to be pretty darn good. If we get to 28, that'd be crazy amazing, but it still feels like a stretch. Uh, let's see. I'm going to just scroll here and find one or two um, that I really love. Our pal John Wojnar, one of the leaders of the Prude group, uh, says, Marshall, love the new logo, referring to the one that I had Roger Wark do of Pato Oversteer Ward. That's what the O stands for in a word, by the way, oversteer. Uh, he says, that being said, how come Roger Work, the artist who does those, never misses? Well, it's because he's awesome. Uh, in the case of the Pato one, that's exactly what I asked him to draw. Uh, him crazy sideways, big cloud of smoke, obscuring me and a lot of the logo and all that. He did exactly that to perfection. And then you have the other logos or cartoons that he's done for me where I say, hey, I'd like a thing <laughs> and it might not have a lot more detail than that, John. And he is so darn creative and, and genuinely is just amazing. Um, so easy to work with and so darn creative that he'll come up with something and it usually doesn't take long to rough it into awesomeness. And that's, uh, that, that's just phenomenal. Even when I say, Hey, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And there's almost, no latitude creatively. He still comes up with great flourishes and accents and other little ideas and something where, seriously, um, uh, every time he sends me an invoice, I am happy because I know that I have gotten something amazing in return for it. So, uh, and then just another note here from another leader of the Prude, Matt Philpot. Does not think of any good questions now, but just want to say how much I'm loving the new logo. Great work, as always, from Roger Work. Indeed, uh, just while recording here, got a note that uh, those stickers, along with some others, that uh, new stickers that I've had made, just shipped. So they'll be here soon and hopefully in our new merchandise 
uh, store on the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Uh, where do we go? Where do we go? Jared Rogers question courtesy of my son, Alex, you bet. Hey, Alex has semiconductor chip shortages. Uh, that's affecting the electronic and automotive industry had any effect on IndyCar and IMSA race teams. Also says, give uh, our cats, Rocky and Rosie, some headbutts from them. Absolutely. Well, have not heard about this, Alex, on in the areas that you mention. I think the main reason is, since this is an IndyCar show, everything that is being used by teams right now that involves chips and whatnot and uh, where shortages are happening elsewhere, those ECUs and data acquisition systems and the laptops and the this is and the that's, these are all things the teams own and have owned for a good long while. So if there was a need all of a sudden, a big batch order of new McLaren ECUs or something like that, that could be a concern if there was a need for them to be here tomorrow. Or Cosworth Electronics, hey, we need a bunch of these this new thing that has whatever uh, chips, semiconductors, and whatever, got to have them ASAP. That could be a problem. If there's a positive to being a spec-ish series, Alex, it's that everyone has the same thing. They've likely had them for quite some time, and this current shortage is not something that should affect anything that I can think of, uh, especially you know even until this gets resolved a little bit. There's nothing major, if anything, I can think of that's coming before the end of the year or maybe even into 2022 that jumps out as a, oh boy, this could slow things down. Um, Maybe a longer timeline might be pushing back some things potentially uh, that are coming in 23 maybe, but as for right now, not so much. Uh, Uh, Jack Manson, you ask about uh, Kyle Kirkwood and where might some of the other lights drivers land. Um, Spoken about that a little bit in recent shows, and I think written about that as well, so I would just refer you to those maybe. Uh, Let's see, Alan Bandy, you've got one about uh, 2003 kart race under the lights in Cleveland. What kind of options would be available for IndyCar to uh, race on a road to street course at night in the future? Um, It's a good question. Maybe... uh, Maybe I'll pose that one to our man, Tony Kotman, and who designed circuits and would probably have a good idea about that. Maybe I'll try and throw that at him. Um, Where do I want to go here for the last one or two? All right. You know what? I'm going to go with one. Uh, Cody Oakwood says, with the debut of the new rear wingless Peugeot hypercar and the buzz it has created, it makes me wonder, should IndyCar consider something similar with the next generation IndyCar? Is it time for a major bodywork shakeup? Would the IndyCar masses riot if the wings, as we know, uh, were taken away? I don't think, Cody, anyone would riot. Uh, I think folks would love a super futuristic, massively reliant upon underbody downforce IndyCar. I don't know if the teams, engineers, would love it so much, giving up those tuning devices, but... It's a great question I should pose to IndyCar next time I speak to some of their leaders. Also, spoke about this a little bit on the uh, Weekend Sports Car Show that went up today on the specific topic of the Peugeot that got rid of its rear wing, 
Um, and again, makes use of all underbody, or it plans to make use of all underbody downforce uh, to therefore no longer need a rear wing. They've yet to track test the car. So they've done lots of simulation. Simulation says, yes, it's going to work. It's going to be awesome. Great idea. Well, let's go get it going around a motor racing circuit first. Let's go run it behind some cars for a while in some high-speed corners and see if uh, that underbody gets starved a little too much of clean and efficient or just volume of air that it needs and whether it will do adequate road holding in that situation. But have had situations where rear wings have been taken off on rare occasion, Cody, uh, super speedways to try and see if that would be something that could be used. I'm trying to remember front wings or wing taking off, taken off. Um, I know that back in my very, my most formative days, uh, in the sport working for, uh, working in the SCCA super V series, which is probably equivalent these days to a Indy pro 2000. Um, my team owner, uh, this is where I met the justice family for the first time back in like whenever 86, 87, uh, on the ovals, knowing that the car did have a pretty significant underbody downforce, pretty big tunnels, um, also had decent rear wing as well to make downforce. The cars were very light and not crazy powered. All of those things added up to in some ovals, Cody, not really needing all the downforce the car could produce. Um, so team owner, uh, I guess I could say we collectively as a team came up with a, well, we've got two front wings. They're independently adjustable. Uh, do we really need everything both can do? Well, if not, why don't we take one and shrink the heck out of it? Because the rule there was actually no rule saying you had to run both. And so we took off one. I'm forgetting which side, whether it was left wing, left front wing or left right wing, but took one off, actually helped improved speeds. Uh Protests followed, arguments followed, SCCA Pro Racing, often been a train wreck, uh, stepped in and said, well, you can't do that anymore. Uh, well, but, so you wrote this rule book and there's nothing in there that says we can't or that we have to run both. Well, but you have to run both. Okay. And so what did we do? Well, there is nothing saying the size of those wings that they had to be specific dimensions. Keep in mind, two, three, four manufacturers of Super Vs at the time. So, again, not a spec series. A lot of difference between those designs. And so we said, okay, well, cool. You've changed the rules. Said we have to run both. Well, guess what? On the side where we weren't running one, we have made a baby wing. (laughs) It's just a little tiny baby wing. And if you look at it, yes, indeed, uh, it has a wing-like profile. It Everything about it is unquestionably a wing, but doesn't do much, and it's by intent. And I, for, I think that might have lasted one race before the same, whoa, you can't do that, and ultimately lost that argument, had to go back to both wings. But I'm not recalling if we've had in the era of wings 
teams that tried to run with one instead of two up front or none up front. I have to imagine uh, all those scenarios happened at least once um, with some of the more brave or inventive teams. But I'm not averse to this idea, Cody. Uh, Again, how do you tune aerodynamics in the car? How do you finally tune center of pressure without a front or rear wing? It's not impossible, obviously. I'm just saying they make really nice tuning tools. Uh, That would be the thing to try and figure out as to how you can add front or add rear, take away front or rear, whatever it is that you're wanting to do. Um, How can you do that to a really fine granular capacity to make your driver happy? So, Great idea. Uh, I'd love to see that happen, and who knows what other uh, innovations. We, we've, I've been recommending making all the bodywork out of LED panels uh, for years now, so maybe that's another thing we could do. All right, y'all. Uh, I'm done. Uh, got to most of your questions. Apologies to those uh, for whom I did not. Uh, it's 8.27 p.m. I'm going to go make my wife some dinner and have some for myself. Thank you to all of you, as always. Uh, this is going to be among a handful of weekend editions of the week in IndyCar because of its late completion. We'll be back on schedule next week, although next week is really busy as well. But uh, Monday is not too bad by any means. So get the questions out, get the uh, get the answers in and posted in podcast form Monday night. I have no idea who our guest is going to be next week. For those of you who are still here, don't hesitate to send me a note with some suggestions. Uh, Just know that most of the higher-profile drivers are on vacation, uh, not interested, or in some cases testing. Um, So there might actually be, once they get back home, there's going to be, what, three teams, I think, at... Laguna Seca on Tuesday. I can't go down, unfortunately. We've got a bunch of uh, appointments that day, but uh, maybe one of them uh, would be a good candidate. I believe it's the Ray Hall team. I believe Penske and Andretti will be there. So maybe someone from that general hemisphere might be worth speaking with. Uh, Maybe Scotty McLaughlin after his first visit to Laguna, or again, who knows? Uh, We'll see. But anyways, I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is my silly little podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. Thank you for listening.